welcome to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast, show number 39. With me tonight, Eric Robbins. Hello. Ian Brazy Cannon. Greetings, one and all. Kimberly. Hi, everybody. And Mac. Podcasting from the hot wastes of Lakewood. Excellent. And I'm your host, Brian. I sometimes forget to say that. I introduce everybody else and forget me. How's everybody doing tonight? It's been a very good Monday. Spiffy. Spiffy. Not bad. Not bad. I'm it's okay. I often forgot who you are, too. Oh, I, I'm fine, but not dandy. George Carlin. No one. Yep. Really? I recognized it. <laughs> I recognized it. <laughs> All right. So, um, we've got some announcements. What's coming up locally for us, Kimberly? Well, we've got uh, two events coming up this weekend that I wanted to let our listeners know about. Uh, they're going to actually be held at the same time in approximately the same place. Um, the first is one that uh, I guess I'm hosting. Brian, I'm kind of still counting on you to be co-hosting. You know what? And I signed up today. I, fr- I didn't realize that I had not signed up. I am coming. I will be okay. there to help you. Good, good. Yes. Um, so we're going to be doing a, a event we're calling Ask an Atheist. So uh, I think we talked about this on an earlier podcast because last month we did an attempt at this out at Commons Park in Denver. And the idea behind it is to kind of set up someplace out in the public and invite the public to ask us, the atheists, questions, whatever they want to know, um, you know, our, our thoughts on different topics, I guess. And the idea behind it is to, uh, you know, kind of normalize us, you know, get us some public outreach, let people know we're, we're pretty regular folk, what we really do believe in as opposed to what we're often told we must obviously believe in, and uh, maybe to generate some really great discussions out there. So we're doing that this coming Saturday. That's the 30th, right? I believe uh, so. Yes. yes. Saturday the 30th. We're going to be meeting at my brother's bar for lunch beforehand for anybody who's interested in that. And then the park is just really across the street. And uh, we're going to sit up, set up a little table at 16th and Raven, make a sign or two, and see what happens. This is a bit of an experiment um, for me and everybody else as far as I know. I don't have a lot of experience going out on the street and identifying as an atheist and interacting with the public. (laughs) (laughs) No, and I I don't either. But I think it's important because of one of the reasons that you brought up right at the beginning is what we're told to believe. If you're an atheist, you believe this. If you're an atheist, you hate God. If you're an atheist, you you know, you know, plug in negative. What did the church ever do to you to make you hate God? Right, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah. So it can't just be that there's no empirical evidence. No, no, no. You you hate him for some reason or whatever. So, so I think this these is are important. You know, so very yeah. good. Yeah. So we'll we'll put the the link to the meetup group. Um, I think we can do that right on the on the website. Yep. Yep. And going on at the same time, just announced apparently a few minutes ago because I I just found it there. Um. The Atheist for Humanity, as you remember from our last show, our friend Eric Meir is going to be hosting a uh, intro to volleyball session. It's going to be a charity event and an outdoor activity. It's going to be going on at about the same time uh, at the same park. He's going to set up a couple of nets and invite people to come on out and... He's asking for, uh, you know, like a donation of like 10 bucks and that'll go to Atheist for Humanity. And, um, he loves the hell out of volleyball. Um, so he's going to, um, you know, help teach people how to play, maybe get a little, you know, uh, game going there. And, uh, it'll be nice. If nobody wants to talk to us, we can walk on over and play some game. If, uh, 
if you know somebody needs a break from from volleyball and wants to talk it out with somebody, it it might be really nice. So um, that's another one that's going to be going on the same day. So I thought we'd give him a little plug on what he's doing too. Yeah, and remember, if if you can't go play volleyball, you can still go to the website Atheist for Humanity and donate through them. Very nice, yeah. Yep. And and we'll probably need cheerleaders too. I mean, atheist cheerleaders are, are, are awesome. So come out even if you don't want to play or you don't want to talk. <laughs> you know, just yeah, come out. I think there'll be a lot of just people talking to each other and, and having a good time. That's what last time, time devolved into yeah. is great. What's that? <laughs> Ian, you're going to wear a skirt? He wants to be that kind of cheerleader. I don't look good in a skirt. You saw me in a skirt at Mike's wedding. You know, yeah, no, yeah, no. Well, it was, it was technically a kilt, but you know what? I mean, I, I'd like to see you in a prawn dress with some pumps. That's all I'm saying. Well, if he shows up in a skirt, we're going to have to shave him because, you know, shave the cheerleader, shave the world. You know, speaking of uh, of cross-dressing, on the Atheist Experience, uh, Matt Dillahanty, uh last week did the atheist experience in drag um they they had a um they were doing a uh a challenge to raise money for camp quest and it was uh pz myers and uh and then the um austin atheists and whoever won more money was going to do something and, and matt said that if they raised more money than um um that i just forgot his name anyway if they raised more money um that he would dress up in drag and uh, and go on the show and do the show in drag and he, and he did that so. Yeah, I actually watched that one on uh, on YouTube, and he did a great job. Had a great little conversation in the beginning about how uh, how it affected him, and and that was interesting. Getting obviously a man who's not generally a cross dresser, how it felt to do that, and the reactions he got from it, and uh, and then to his credit, went and did the the show. I love their show. I listen to it all the time, and did it as if it was just a normal day. So good for him. Yeah, it's it was... definitely one to check out. Yep. All right, so, moving um, on. Yeah, so we got to, I, I figure since we are mostly a local podcast, I know we've got Eric out in California, but uh, not going to let that stop us. No. Since we're Colorado homegrown. Um, there's also another one I wanted to let people know about with the Mile High Skeptics Meetup Group. Ari Armstrong is going to be speaking at Scruffy Murphy's. Never been there, but it's downtown, it looks like, um, on the values of Harry Potter. This was apparently um, on the uh, e-skeptic week or so ago and he'll be talking live so i'm going to try to go to that i think that i love harry potter saw the last movie on friday and uh that was great but that's a little off topic but we specialize in going off topic <laughs> we should probably have the harry potter uh wrap up later yeah. but anyway that's going on on august 1st and uh, so anybody interested in that, it's at 7 p.m., like I said, it's Gruffy Murphy's, and we'll put the website out there for that. And the last thing I've got on the local news is that they're going to be doing another skeptic camp at the end of August. It's uh, scheduled for the 27th down in Colorado Springs. They're going to do another skeptic camp. Now, so you know, check who's putting too. this skeptic camp on? I know that Reed and... Um, and Rich Orman are involved, but I think it might be some people down in Colorado Springs, which um, I don't know that I'm going to be able to go. I'm, I'm kind of doubting it at this point, but I'd love to just to give support because that's that's behind the lines, you know, being a skeptic down at, down yeah. in Colorado Springs. That's that's got to be a tough gig. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. So right now, the, I mean, the the speaker list is growing. Looks like they've got eleven speakers. Um, of course, if you have not had a chance to go see um, uh, 
Baxter, Brian and Baxter, they're going to be there. Yeah. And Skeptic Camp's worth it. It's a fun yeah. experience. You get to meet other skeptics, get to hear their views and interact with them. And it costs nothing. You can't beat that. Yeah, this sounds interesting. Dr. Karen Stoll now is going to be talking about making up history. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the lizard, Doctor Morgan, lizard, Le- yes. yeah, the lizard, will, uh, Morgan Levy will be there. Um, uh, the neurolog- neuroscience of belief that should be interesting. He always has a good talk. He always has a lot of sexual content involved. You know, uh, <laughs> he, he does. That always seems to drift off into that area. So, but uh, he, it's always a good talk. He always has something good. Right. You say that as if that was a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. I, I, I shouldn't say that, but I, I imagine that there are some people who might end up being offended by that. So, disclaimer, right? And it looks like they've got two rooms going now. They're still filling up a few spots. So, that's another great thing for anybody who hasn't been to Skepticamp before. It's put on by local people for local people. So, if you have a topic you want to discuss, um, Brian and I have both presented last time at yep. uh, the one in Boulder. And both I thought both of them were great. I might be biased. But uh, <laughs> but if, if anyone's got a topic they're interested, that's what Skepticamp is all about. You come in, you present, you get a little... Looks like a half-hour slot for what they're doing here, and you don't need to be a professional. You just talk about what you want to talk about, be open to questions from the audience, and they're, they're usually, I mean, I, I can't think of any one of them where I've been bored. They're usually fun and, and exciting and, and things you wouldn't normally think or, or study about. So Yeah. Looking at this, there's even some, um, Stuart Robbins, whose talk uh, this year was yeah, excellent. Yeah, we like him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Natour is going to be down there for talking. I had a friend of Oh, ours. she's got one. Great. Yeah, she's got one down there. So The so, Pyramid of Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> We might need to have her on. I, I, we might need to hear more about this. Absolutely. I, I'm sure she will. <laughs> She'll come talk so, to yeah, us about go, poo. Go check it out. I think that'll be fun. And that's that's some of the skeptics seem to slow down a little bit in the summer. I guess we're off vacationing and, and stuff. Um, but I thought we could use just a couple of minutes at the beginning of a podcast to let people know what's going on because there's usually a bunch of great things. Yep. Oh, that's well, Kimberly, I see you're going to that Values of Harry Potter one. Yes. You uh, oh, anybody yeah. else? Anybody else thinking about going? I'm thinking about it. We'll see. I'm toying with it too. I'm more likely to end up at Skeptic Camp, though. I, I, I will Skeptic try. Skeptic Camp is saying there's no slots left for people that, to come. They, just, they want you to sign up at at Skeptic Camp. Yeah, yeah, you have to go to this. Ah, the, uh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. And I don't know how many people they have room. They've already for. got 42 people signed up, but I don't see anything that says. How much space they have? Um, I'm sure they'll update it if it starts getting dangerous, but I, I would I wouldn't worry about it. I'd sign up as soon as you can so they know what to expect. And um, yeah, I think they'll. We we had what about eighty something? I think in Boulder. About eighty, yeah. Yeah, so we have to just certainly make sure that Colorado Springs doesn't beat us. I think that's really the only thing. So you're saying I shouldn't go? Uh, I don't know. Like I said, I'm just getting back from vacation that weekend, so I don't think I'll be able to yeah, that, that might um, be scramble rough. off down there. But if something, if if it comes up, I might. We'll see. All right. There you go. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Are, are we done with announcements now? I think that's so. all I ready, got. Ready to move on? We have a science article in there. Uh, Ian's going to tell us how um, if you're not African, you're a uh, Neanderthal. Okay. I, am I over? Am I overstating this? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, well, with more and more genetic um, discovery happening every day, it's not too surprising we're finding stuff like this out. 
Um, you know, we have so much more information out there to really trace the human genetics. So this story definitely fit with, you know, more and more discoveries we're finding. And we click the load. Here we go. Um, so the, the title of the story is Confirmed. All non-African people are part Neanderthal. Um, what's the site here? It's io9.com? Yeah, io9.com. And um, the writer of this particular article is Alastair Wilkin. Um, basically, he talks about um, that, well, the evidence has been mounting, and it goes into the history of how originally it was thought Neanderthals and Homo sapiens stayed apart and were separate. But um, as they were looking in it, apparently we were very closely genetically related, genetically close enough to the Neanderthals to be able to cross breed. And apparently, as humans spread out of, um, out of Africa, they encountered Neanderthals and apparently did cross breed. And they were saying everywhere, even like Australia, there is Neanderthal genetics in the native Australian. So, you know, however the, the spreading of these genetics went, it was worldwide practice once right. we um, left Africa. You know, my, so, under- I was saying, my understanding from, from, from other articles that I read is that some of the genes specifically that they, that they believe, believe that we got from the Neanderthal was um, like the genes for red hair. Um, they don't believe this article goes into Yeah, it detail. doesn't go into detail about the genes. But, yeah, this is – I mean, this has been coming for a while, and th- there's been a couple of different studies um, that I think have come back with the same conclusion. So. Yeah, so, you know, and it, it's part of evolution. You know, the, what happened to the Anathos, basically, they became us. Right. You know, and, that, and that's a question that came up. You know, what happened to all these mysterious um, different things? How did they die off? Well, quite likely, they never died off. They just bred and... Became something else. Yeah. Well, we bred them out of existence. And that fits with evolution. You know, however the genetics work, the homo sapien genetics were, for the most part, apparently the um, dominant ones, and the Neanderthal um, traits weren't. So when the Neanderthals and the homo sapiens intermixed, the Neanderthal genetics just started to fade away because they were not the dominant ones. But they're still there to some degree. Well, you go back to our to our ancestor that we share with like the chimpanzee and you can see they, they they're pretty sure that even as we div- diverged species that we still interbred for a while before we completely diverged and, and so that's one thing a lot of the creationists don't understand is how that level of evolution works they right. think oh you have brand new species that just comes into existence and that's how it works no well no they're they all- didn't just come into existence and god made them <laughs> But, I was confused by this just because, I mean, you know, to your point of as the species kind of differentiate, you eventually lose the ability to interbreed. But I, I thought the whole definition of species was a group that could interbreed and basically anything outside of species could not. So, I, I mean, I, I I don't quite understand the science of yeah, that halfway point. Right, and Eric, because Eric, technically we're all apes, right? So the, But not all apes can interbreed. Let's get uh, Eric to yeah, chime in. Please, here. Eric. Yeah. Um, in my evolutionary biology class, I think we learned three or four different definitions of species, and some are based on morphology. And the, the primarily used one is, is the can't interbreed and have um, – a viable offspring. So, from that point of view, then yes, Neanderthal and human would be the same species, probably different subspecies. But, um, <laughs> uh, but the way I've always thought about it is the, the 
the term species, any term that we want to use, uh, gen, gen, uh, genus or family or something, these are all boxes we're trying to fit. You know, we have this box, and, okay, here's nature, and, okay, everything works fine most of the time, but sometimes things just don't want to fit in our boxes. Uh, I mean, uh, coyotes and dogs and wolves are all capable of interbreeding with uh, viable offspring, and they're all separate species currently uh, accepted. Right. So right. don't they have the same issue? What, what's, what's, so we have the, we're, we're homo, and what's this, what's, what's, what was the genus before homo? Um, I, my uh, understanding, hold on a second. Am I correct, Eric, in saying that Homo sapiens and Homo sapiens sapiens and Homo sapiens neanderthalensis are the species we're talking about? Correct. Uh, yes, I've seen them being listed as subspecies. I've also seen them being listed as separate species. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'd always thought they were a separate species. See, but, I mean, I thought that was yeah. the common understanding of it. And and again, you know, just to point out, I think it's awesome that science marches on and, and yeah. finding out that we're wrong about something doesn't destroy the entire thing. It, it and, helps. Well, there's a... That's also kind of the misconceptions that are out there. And you know, even you, a skeptic, you know, didn't have all the information. And sure. that's one of the problems with the, the idea of evolution. So many people lack so much more information than that. And they don't understand how all the pieces put together. You know, they look at something like this article, and to them it's completely foreign language. It's like, wait a minute, what are they talking about? None of this makes sense because th- what they've been taught of evolution lacks all the real details on how it works. Right. But in, and all the lines are, are kind of gray because there is no fine line. There's no one transitional fossil, if you will. You know, it's just a, a continuation of, of, of things changing and evolving. And so the lines are gray. The, the line between when we, when we became homo and, and what we were prior to that, these are the kinds of things that biologists argue over, you know, about where those lines are. And it's very hard to, to create those boxes. Right, and this article shows that the line really isn't there. Well, the, you know, there is no definite line. It's it's all you know gray middles, if you will. Yep. Even now, we're probably gray middle. Well, sure. We're we're a transitional form into something else. Sure. We're we're a fairly stable form, though. I think. Seems like it. Some of us. Some of us. Until the mutants take over. So, well, and if you Ray Heineman says that uh, that skeptics are mutants. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And I know this isn't new. It's just the scope of time just absolutely stuns me all the time. A 20,000-year overlap is, in evolutionary terms, considered a blink of an eye. And we don't have, what, half, far less than half of that as what we consider recorded history. Sure. You know, it just, it just far, puts far it less. really into perspective, <laughs> yeah. doesn't it? It's like a tenth of that. So this is implying, though, that uh, the Cro-Magnon skull that we found in France is actually of African origin. That that species is of, Af- is of African origin. We're all of African origin. We're all Africans. Except those of us who are Neanderthals. Well, even, well, no, even Neanderthals are from Africa. Oh, yeah. But they, they moved They're out. Well, yeah. Before, yeah but the, the Neanderthals had moved out of Africa before we did. And then we met back up again, yeah. us as in Homo sapiens and Neanderthals, um, after we left Africa. So they, they kind of, they went off, did their own thing, really kind of, I guess, developed more into a subspecies, although, like we're saying, not completely, because there is still interbreeding going on. But then the the, the groups, I guess, because we're also talking about not very large populations, isn't that right? Mm. Uh, well, one thing this article I don't like about it is uh, 
it says that for the sequence to show up uh, for such a diversity of people that it had suggests there's a lot of inbreeding. Um, what really needed to happen is the first group that left probably went to the Middle East and probably encountered so many other cells there. They interbred, and then everyone spread out. It wasn't didn't require a whole lot of different events, just needed. Hmm. Oh, I see. So because it, it just spread from that one one position. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's, there's a lot of supposition in here, and all we really know is that there's a sequence that takes place in non-African peoples <laughs> that we recognize from Neanderthal. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. That's interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I'd love to know more about it because it really does open a lot of a lot of questions and a, a better understanding of where we come from. I'm also really surprised that they're so. Um, you know, so insistent that there's absolutely no Neanderthal genetics in people who are, I guess, from who are from and stayed in sub-Saharan South uh, or Africa, right? Um, because again, when you think about it, like you say, the the Neanderthals, we all started in the same place, and you know, with a common ancestor, and then moved out from there, right? It's interesting. And again, I realize this yeah. happens over over. Thousands of years. Africa is interesting because it actually has more genetic diversity than than the rest of the world in a lot of ways. You can take people from two different places in Africa, and they they may be they're they're um you know genus may be further apart than you are from either of them. Now I'm looking at some of the comments on this article, and apparently our confusion on this is not uncommon. Mm. So it it's. It's fairly clear that the article itself is maybe not as comprehensive as it could be. Sure. Oh, and that's the main thing that keeps showing evolution is um, it is confusing. And the people that are too confused by it just don't want to try and learn anything more. And, you know, they're comfortable with the creationism crap. And, you know, that's all they want. So you you mentioned evolution. They don't understand it. They don't want to understand it. It's too, there's, it is too much. You know, there's so much to it. We don't fully understand it, but that doesn't mean it's not true. And, and that's the problem. Just because it's confusing and you don't understand it doesn't make sense to you doesn't mean it's not true. You know, it's a common thing, though, you know, to defend them, to want an answer and, and, and to feel uncomfortable with, I don't know. And it's yeah. much more comforting for them to say, listen, we have this book. It was given to us by our creator. It has all the answers. Oh, easy answers. People do uh, right. very much for the easy answers. And to me, that's lazy, but I, I still understand why they would take that position. Oh, yeah. so. All right. Are we ready right. Let's talk about water. I, today, would like to talk to you about alkaline water. Anybody know what alkaline water is? Class, raise your hands. Brian, will you tell us what alkaline water I is? I would love to tell you what alkaline water is. Isn't it true water? Well, <laughs> It depends on which site you're looking at. There's a couple of different things going on. So here's here's what alkaline water is. Alkal water has a pH of seven, which is neutral. Alkaline water has a pH of eight or higher. So so what they're doing is that they're taking water and they're they're making it alkaline in some way. And there's there's apparently several different ways to do this. Um, now, the, the, uh, this site said use a distiller, use a water ionizer, or add an alkaline ingredient to the water. And most of these sites say that they're, they're, they're filtering the water and then using the ionizer on the water to make this alkaline water. But why would you want to do that, you ask, right? You do ask, right? Why would you I want do to do ask? Okay, good. Because of all the benefits that you can get 
from um, from drinking alkaline water. And I, I, I'm going to read off just a few of them to you. It sure, reduces. What benefits would those be? Well, yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you asked. They it reduces stress. It reduces the amount of water needed for cooking. It's a strong antioxidant. Antioxidant. It helps you hydrate better. It helps with heartburn, indigestion, prevents acetosis, helps detoxify the body. It's good for weight loss, boosts energy, prevents allergies, prevents free radical damage, reduces excessive mucus, promotes a healthy heart, increases brain function, uh, reduces cholesterol, decreases blood pressure, um, promotes healthy cell regeneration, helps deliver oxygen to tissues, and prevents degenerative diseases such as cardiovascular, diabetes and obesity, liver and kidney disease, cancer in any form, neurological diseases, immune system dis- uh, dysfunctionalities, uh, premature aging, uh, hormonal problems and imbalances. Is this a wow. many does, of our people report such such effects? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So yes, yeah, yeah. so these are all the things that 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 this does. But here is the reason that this is important because of a of a disease called acetosis, and acetosis occurs when your blood pH becomes acidic. There are two types of acetosis. There is respiratory acetosis and molecular or metabolic acetosis. And so respiratory acetosis is a buildup of carbon dioxide from inefficient breathing caused by chest deformities, chest injuries, chest muscle weakness, chronic lung disease, uh, overuse of sensitive drugs. The and then uh, the metabolic acetosis happens when there is too much acid being produced by the kidneys and can't remove enough acid, uh, so you get a buildup of lactic lactic acid, and this can uh, be caused by alcohol. Uh, cancer can cause this. Uh, liver failure, low blood sugar, and uh, medicines such as uh, cell- saline cellulites. Yeah. Anyway, so the and also I heard somebody talking about uh, glucophage um, can cause acetosis, and those are all real things that can happen to the body from um, from too much acid. So they're promoting a more alkaline body. Here's the problem: there's a, there's another um, condition called alkatosis, and there's respiratory and metabolic ac- um, alkatosis. Um, the respiratory is caused by fever. Um, being at a high altitude, lack of oxygen, liver disease, uh, lung disease, and then metabolic, um, uh, extreme loss of potassium, extreme loss of chloride. So there is just as many, the, the, the effects of being too acidic or too alkaline are both bad. So I was, I was reading about this and the reason that I, I, I listened to a couple of paranormal podcasts and one of them is just full of, um, ads and the ads are always for bullshit products. I mean, I, uh, you can listen to an ad on there and every one of them you can go, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. I mean, it, it, it's obvious, but people, but when you, I mean, look at all of the, look at all the things I just told you that alkaline water will do for you. And then look at the diseases that can be caused by acetosis. Those two things in combination make people go, oh, maybe I should be doing this. Don't you think? It's an awfully large number of diseases to be caused by 
quote-unquote acetosis. Right. Well, the acetosis ones are much more specific that I read when I read the specific um, causes. But here's the thing is that uh, um, being over acidic can, you know, um, be hard on your kidneys and liver, and, and it can be hard on your body. Um, okay, I'm going to ask one really important question about this alkaline water. Mm-hmm. Does it occur in nature? It it could if the water became ionized, yes. So not likely? Not likely. Well, that's okay. not true. If, if you were, if you had a body of water that had a lot of um oh what I want to um a lot of like calcium in it, it would probably be alkaline. From what I remember about chemistry, which was a few years ago, mind you, from from what I remember about chemistry, we get water molecules because the hydrogen molecules each have two. It's the way they plug up naturally. Okay. Mm-hmm. They, it's it's the way that the hydrogen molecules connect to the water molecules that make it form H2O. Okay. If you have pure water, which is primarily, um, you know, H2O, two hydrogen, one oxygen. Right. If if you it does have a tendency to disassociate and ionize and become. Um, um, one hydrogen ion and a hydroxide ion, which is hydrogen plus plus HO minus. But the reverse happens much, much quicker. And so the, the hydrogen molecules and the HO minus want to combine to create H2O, and that happens much right. more rapidly. So, yeah, so you might have a, an occasional combination of H plus plus HO negative. That, that can happen, but but because it wants to it wants to combine so much more rapidly you're going to have like one in a million or no one in a billion one out of every uh, um it says two out of every billion h2o molecules will be h plus h plus h plus plus o negative h-o yeah negative. it's uh H, h2o is a pretty stable combination right it is and so and you cannot create this by running it across the electrical charge like they say they're going to there's not enough ions to do that if you could do that the the water would conduct a current if there was enough ions in there to do it, but there's not. It it doesn't conduct a current unless you add something like salt or something like that that adds ions to it to create that current. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so no, so these water ionizers that they're selling cannot physically do what they're claiming, and even if they could do it as it was coming out of the tap, it would revert to back to the way it was so much quicker that it wouldn't matter anyway. You would have to physically strip out the hydrogen in order to make the water um, alkaline. But where, if you could do that that easily, you would have a pool of hydrogen that you could sell for hydrogen fuel cells if it was cheap to do. But it's right. not cheap to do that. So, yeah, so uh, so ultimately, you cannot ionize water. It's just not going to happen. Um, and the other thing is that uh, if you had more minerals in it, you probably could ionize it, right? If you had more, if you had more minerals and stuff in it, but they are filtering it before they, before they ionize it. So they're taking out anything in there that would possibly allow you to ionize it. This so, sounds to me very much like a load of dingo's kidneys. <laughs> right. So here's another thing I have a problem with too. <laughs> really? And this another is, problem? this is yeah, other problems. I, I have other problems. I, I thought, th- I thought this was so, you know, I thought I had this one lock stock. I, I was sure that alkaline water was good. Lock stock and two smoking barrels. That's huh? it. Yeah. Um, they're talking about acids and of course, nobody wants to have acids. Acids are bad. People look at acids and go, okay, acids are bad. 
acids will burn you. Mm -hmm. But would you rather be burned by a strong acid or would you rather be burned by a strong alkaline? Right. It doesn't matter. It's still a burn. Now, it's but, still a burn. Now, but, and, you know, lye is the opposite end of the spectrum. Lye is a strong alkaline, and it will burn you just as bad as a strong acid will. Right. So Acids are good. As, <laughs> they, well, we would starve without acids. I, well, yeah, we yes, need amino we would. acids. We need citric acid. So now here's the piece. Acid. Yes. Now here's the piece I have not told you. And when I'm talking about acetosis and allotosis, I am talking about blood pH. And so to get these conditions, your blood must be either have a high pH or low pH in order to come up with these conditions. And it can happen. But your body is extremely efficient at regulating your blood pH. Now, every one of these sites wants to tell us that it's not and that we're all acidic and that, you know, that this is a huge problem, but it's not. We And it depends on the site that I read. I, I got a couple of different, uh, a couple of different um, ways in which this works, but primarily we breathe off carbon dioxide. We are breathing out, so our lungs regulate our acid. So if you hold your breath, your blood will click, quickly become more acidic, and you'll feel uncomfortable, and you might even pass out from that. If you hyperventilate, your blood will become um, become alkaline. more alkaline, and you'll feel uncomfortable, and you might even pass out. Yep, but the wonderful thing about it is when you pass out, you start breathing normally again, and your blood goes back to normal. Right, and so the other way in which your body regulates your pH is through your kidneys. And so when you urinate, you, you give off ammonia, which is getting rid of extra alkaloids. So... I don't care how much, even if alkaline water was actually more alkaline, no matter how much of it you drink, you're never going to adjust your blood pH. Unless there's something else wrong with you, such as you're not breathing properly, these, these, you can't really adjust your, you, well, no, you can't adjust your blood pH by what you eat. You can't adjust your urine pH by what you eat. Yeah. But by what you said here, if you drown in alkaline water, then your blood will become less acidic because you're getting it through the lungs. Um, yeah, I think by that point, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever you want to do at that point, right? <laughs> if you, yes, yes. Uh, I don't want to test that either way. So, but the the problem that with these products is that when you go and read these sites, they don't they don't cite. A, there's not a single medical study cited. And they'll give you all of the information about all the things that, that acid can do to you. But yet they don't tell you that it doesn't matter how much you drink, you can't adjust your blood pH. Besides the fact that if you do happen to have heartburn, are you going to go get alkaline water or are you going to go get Tums? Well, clearly, according to this, we should be getting alkaline water. Okay, but here's now here's the other people. The other people sell acidic water. And and I had to be careful not to get distracted while I was doing this research because I could have got led off into live water, acidic water, and so on and a whole bunch of other things, you know, that that are associated with this. But the people that are promoting acidic water are saying that we are too alkaline and what's happening is that we have heartburn because we're taking all of these alkaline-based products and what's happening is that our that our body is 
overproducing acid to make up for all of the alkaline that we're that we're consuming in our in our stomach and gut which technically can sort of happen sure i mean if you take if you take in too much alkaline stuff your stomach will overproduce acid and yes you can get heartburn from it right it, it sure that and that can actually happen but once again it's not going to change your blood pH. it's not going to change your blood ph and if you're having a lot of these kinds of issues you should be seeing your doctor anyway and not looking for these these crazy products i put a, i have a couple of links in here to an ionizer and um the tr- the true water stuff and the ph ion booster and on and on and on but they're not really when you when you read these products they are not being very clear as to what they're actually doing they tell you that you're too acidic and then they sell you alkaline water and they are some expensive ionizer and when you say expensive i mean some of them are crazy they're they're a couple of thousand dollars yeah it's ridiculous isn't it Hey, once more, we're in the wrong profession. <laughs> I think that the only safe way to do this, really, is to buy the expensive alkaline water and to buy the expensive acid water and mix them together to form Ooh, water. water. Yeah. Or make an explosion. I don't understand how these people are getting away with still having these products available. They are, they're, they're making claims, but they're, they're very careful about the claims that they make. But even claiming that they can ionize water to make it more alkaline is a claim. And since it's not chemically possible for them to do this, shouldn't we, shouldn't these products be taken off the market? Well, one of the studying this that, uh, use pyramid schemes and so they're not making any great claims themselves it's the people they have selling them for them right they do a lot of that yeah yeah Yeah, it's just it's it's such it's well it's disingenuous marketing schemes is what it is i love the the site for true water you you click on the link the benefits of acid water and it says while you cannot and should not drink acid water it does have important benefits (laughs) (laughs) oh right yes I think it's like what you mentioned, though, earlier about, you know, people wanting the easy answers and stuff. I mean, if all of this stuff was true or, you know, like, I mean, you can't read these sites without being like, I've got that symptom. I'm totally lacking energy every freaking day. <laughs> I know, and right? I can't keep my weight down no matter what the hell I do. And uh. I do exercise too much and all of these things. And if somebody was just like, Kim, you could spend $4,000. You'd be thin the rest of your life. You could eat as many Doritos as you want. You go, you don't have to exercise anymore. I, I would love to buy that that product unfortunately i i'm kind of not believing it exists but i can understand why other people are like if this could really do it that's worth that money i know kim i guarantee you that if you went on a diet of nothing but alkaline water you'd lose you would lose weight and you know eventually vital signs But this, I mean, they make it sound like all I got to do is just, you know, trade out my my horribly uh, poisonous bottled water for this, you know, $6,000 tap and and not do anything else, you know, and, 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 and have all these great benefits. You know, and, and like you say, every time you see these things where they cure everything, all forms of cancer, I mean, just <laughs> so ridiculous, a claim, if you understood what cancer was, you'd know there could not be a single cure for it, but... Boy, you can you can just you get why people want it. Yeah, they, they of want course. that panacea cure. The uh, isn't the 
isn't the maintenance on that $6,000 tap kind of a problem? Don't the moving parts on that have to be oiled with special snake oil? I'm sure. The way that I got turned on to this, I'm not finding the site. Is this it? I, um, nope, that's not it. I better stop that now. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> um, I gotta, I gotta find that site. I found a site, um, that talked about glutathione. And they sell this one world whey powder and, and whey, it's so it's a powder made from, um, from milk. And it had this list of, of these five things that you can do to be healthy. But doing all those, you still not be, may not be healthy without your, with your, without your whey powder. And they go this, you know, this, these, they show how their whey powder is better than everybody else's whey powder and on and on and on. And I thought, well, I'd like to address all of these claims that they're making before I get to the whey powder. So my the, so the first one that I that I started looking at on their site was the alkaline water. And I've got to find the page again because there's there's a list that I, I want to go through and so I'll hit the next one and the next one. So I'll prepare another report for the next thing that's on their list of the five things that you need to do to be healthy. And then we'll finally get down and see if we can break down the whey powder as well. So that's that's okay. kind of where I'm heading here. Hey, Brian, a quick question. I asked you a little while back, and I don't know if you have an answer for this yet, but you, this stuff is one world way, and I asked you if it had anything to do with Dr. Bronner's soaps. I don't know, and I um, know, but it has this glutathione in it. Okay, because the, the Dr. Bronner's soaps, if you've ever read one of those bottles or read part of one of those bottles, you know that there is a manifesto on every bottle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that we have. And I love that manifesto. You know, that soap works, too. Oh, it's good soap. But there's this huge, this huge manifesto all about one world religion and all of his, all of his different religious views that he had. Right. And the one world things keeps coming up over and over and over This again. goes back to a Dr. Mark Hyman. And, okay. uh, and I know that he's legit because he's been on Dr. Oz. Ah. <laughs> and he's, pro- and he is promoting the glutathione. Which may be good. I I don't know. I I mean I have I haven't quite gotten there. Like I say, I started with the alkaline water. So fun stuff. I mean it, it was it was fun to go through it, but man, there was just well, you guys saw all the links, and I didn't even put all the links in the document for all the stuff that I read to put this all together. No. And I had a lot of fun. I every single claim, you know, putting together this list of claims that the alkaline water is good for, and it and and I don't I didn't get everything. There's more that they say that is good for, and but this it is a collection from multiple sites. Yeah, it's it's amazing that that people do this, and and you know I've heard the people who get sucked into the you know, there's victims everywhere. Yes, it's not just the people who buy it; uh, it's also the people who sell it. They're usually so they're so deep in dead, really. Um, yeah, that they they're desperate to to get the next level of people to sell to so that they can keep their head above water and not go bankrupt over this stuff it's just it's just crazy and then like you say and then you you can't argue with the people who insist that you know i don't care what the science says i know it affects me positively i know i've seen all this difference and stuff and you're never going to convince them that their their little anecdotes or their data mining you know, or they're, no. belie- you know, remembering the hits and forgetting the misses or not really getting what the actual connection is. You're never going to convince any of them. Right. But I did learn a lot of actually good stuff by reading this. I did learn about acetosis and allotosis and, and the connection with diabetes and the um and how the glucophage that pe- some people that have taken that have had issues with acetosis. 
Um, and, and so there's been some interesting connections that way. Now, see, on this, on this site you put in here about assets and bases, I'm finding something kind of interesting. It's actually saying that an ammonia solution is actually less caustic in terms of base than a, than a, soapy, a soapy water solution. That's interesting to me. I, I don't know. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot. I mean, I, I used a lot of references here, and I, unfortunately, I don't even have all the ones here listed. Um, but I got the majority of what, you know, what I wanted to hit. But the liquid drain cleaner that's, uh, that they give as a, an example of a 14 pH, that's lye. Okay. That's almost pure lye in a liquid drain cleaner. Yeah. And we know that that's bad, especially oh, yeah. when you add fat. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I, so I think, uh, I, I don't know. I feel like I covered that pretty well. Good research. All right. And now we have another thing to tease you on when we want to get you all riled up. Yes, it's one more thing, right? Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) That's the problem with doing this podcast. It's a list of things that irritate me. There's another button on his chest. (laughs) That's right. Look at that button. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. So female weightlifter fights to compete in her religious garb. This was actually kind of neat. Ian? Yeah, this was yes. an interesting article. Um, well, one other thing that I found most interesting was it goes against stereotype. You know, stereotypically, you would not picture a Muslim woman as a weightlifter. No. So um, it's an article off of MSNBC.com, Muslim weightlifter fights to compete in, I don't even try and pronounce that, hijabi. Uh, hijabi. 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 Um, <laughs> so basically, uh, and um. Uh, what is her name? Kosam Abdallah is yeah. apparently a Muslim weightlifter. She can deadlift 240 pounds. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> quite impressive. Um, and she was wanting to weightlift competitively. But the problem is, her religion said she had to keep her arms and legs covered. And competitive weightlifting said, no, you can't do that. You have to wear the proper shorts and such. Well, and there's and, a reason why. Yes, well, yeah, I understood there were some reasons, but she did actually get it changed, um, last update I had seen on this. But, so, she was put in a fight saying, listen, you know, I want to compete, but I, my religion says I can't go out in public in that kind of an outfit. And, yeah, you know, I I agree with you, Mac, you know, there are some religions, there are some reasons as to why they had the dress code the way it was. Right. But, um... You know, she fought, and I think this has the update. Well, it? and I would say that their reasons were not completely um, – they, they were legitimate reasons. And so, they are legitimate yeah. reasons. And so she got a – she didn't just – she found this. She she found a reasonable way to um, to still take care of what they needed to and right. still and still do what she needed to. So there, this was kind of a compromise more than anything else. I mean, this is yes. the way that things are supposed to work. Right. You know, in the end, they said, okay, we can adjust it. We can find something that will work, fit within our guidelines still, and allow you to um, stay true to your religious beliefs. So, you know, it's, I, I thought it was just a great story in regards to something like that because, you know, it, it shows prog- progress, and progress is always a good thing. Yep. I'm going to disagree. Oh, you are? Okay, give it to us straight. <laughs> Go for it. And this is this is like the inner, you know, um, conspiracy theory person that's still somewhere beneath all this skepticism and nice. stuff like that. I don't like this. Okay. Um, and and I don't have really great reasons for it. A lot of it is conjecture. Um, one, I, I I think this kind of stuff is silly on the point of why are we taking this shit seriously at all? 
your 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 fifteen hundred year old book says you shouldn't wear sleeveless stuff when you go out to weightlift. Give me a fucking break. I mean, okay, it's not fitting into the traditional religious upbringing that they want to pretend still is relevant in twenty first century. I, so I disagree with it on <sighs> that part. Okay, I understand where you're coming from on here. I mean, because, but I I think that we still we still need to be respectful of other people's religions, and I know that this is tough. But I I just I I. I we we can't just sit around and and, and just say hey, it, you know it's a fifteen year old book so it doesn't matter anymore. It matters to this person. It matters to her enough that and she needs she's to maintain being true it. to it. Yeah, she's yeah. She's being true to the pieces she would like to be true to because quite well, frankly that book boils down to if she's not barefoot and pregnant she's doing it. Wrong. Okay, okay, you're and right. I have a, okay. I'm, I'm having yeah. a very major yeah. and I realize that like I said I'm I'm not claiming rationality here and I realize I sound like one of the Neanderthals from <laughs> the earlier article but she's not doing it. It's it's a lot like when you hear people who want to um want to practice the Sabbath and not use electricity and stuff like that. So they make up these stupid-ass gadgets that keep the oven on without doing any work so that they can cook and do all the stuff they want to do in 21st century America without, quote-unquote, you know, disobeying the law. But they're disobeying the, all of the law's implications and they've got these little get around things as if God was some idiot who would be like, Oh, I didn't see that. All right. All right. Come on. Let, in. Let oh, me see. Got me. Let me see if I, I can break this down a little bit more. I mean, I, it's what you're saying. She's cherry picking. <laughs> and if she's not, well, hold on. If she's not going to, if she's not, if she's, if she wants to be true to her religion, she should be at home and pregnant. The fact that she's going out and trying to get a, and do a job or to compete in, in such a way that is generally considered a masculine thing to do. If she's going to do that anyway, why, why, why can't she just give up the, uh, the other piece of the religion? So, so she, so she's, she's compartmentalizing the, what she has to wear with what her home duties are. And I think that this is also, um, kind of a feminist argument. If, if, if would, would you agree with that, Kim? I'm going to throw something else out here real quick before, before Kim, before you respond on that. Let me throw something else out here. Is it possible that by competing in her religious garb and still doing this, she's being an example to other young Muslim, young Muslim women and thereby being an agent of change? It's a good point, and it's certainly one method of going about the change. Um, I would think just casting off all the shackles and not keeping half of them would be a better way. But that's—I'm a very progressive American woman, so. But if she won't—if she won't wear the traditional garb, then nobody will look at her with respect. Whereas, okay, I don't don't know how you deconstruct all of this. I'm going to say that 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 this is ridiculous, and that if Muslim women want to come out and show other Muslim women that their religion is wrong, that they need to do what the Turkish Muslim did and pose naked in German Playboy. I got no problem with that. Yeah, well, but but still, Kim, (laughs) to me, this is stuff in the right direction. She's out there. She's showing that she's not a stereotypical Muslim woman. I mean, seriously, do you think she's going to have a husband that's going to beat her? <laughs> she could well, probably <laughs> kick most guys' ass without trying. Whatever I, husband she sells She got into it because she was learning Taekwondo. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm sure she could kick my ass, too. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, looking at the, uh, I'm looking at the image of her, and her arms are not that big, which means no. that she's got to be wiry as hell. Yeah. But, okay, so 
so I've got the problem with the cherry picking, but I'll allow it. I mean, again, I, I'm I'm not really trying to keep this particular woman or anybody down, um, but I do think it, I think someone right. should point out the cherry picking stuff because it, yeah. it's rampant. But my second thing that that kind of concerns me is we already compromise on a lot of things for religion. And this is a very separate subject, but I think it has a similar tone to it. For example, in Europe now, and I don't know if it's true in the U.S. or not, all of the food, all of meat is prepared, um, I think it's called hajid, or I, I, I probably am saying it wrong. But there's basically, it's a lot like kosher. It's all about how you prepare an animal for slaughter in order to harvest the meat. And there's an Islamic-specific way of doing it that, quite frankly, unsurprising, is very barbaric. It, it basically insists that the creature is alive and conscious oh, when okay, you yeah. slit its throat and stuff like that. In Europe, apparently, they have taken to all of the meat that you buy in any supermarket is killed this way. Because, one, they don't want to bring up the fact that, like, if they separated it out, it would be more expensive for everybody and it would cause this huge backlash because people would be conscious of the fact that it's going on. They've done this to compromise with this religion again, just like we're compromising here on the dress. And it's it's small ways, but again, I guess I keep coming back to why are we compromising with these people at all? Well, that sounds more like capitalism, though. It's like the companies that are doing the meeting say, hey, listen, if we want the business, we have to do it this way. So the, the your meat example to me is not necessarily compromise. It's these companies that say, hey, listen, I want that extra money. Um, and the cheapest way I can get that extra money is to do things this way. I don't, I, I mean, I think if we looked into this more and, and maybe this would be an, an, a full article and, and research project for another episode, I don't think it, it's extremely, uh, a money making kind of thing. I think this is a social compromise. This is a matter of it is too much trouble to go and, and say you shouldn't be slaughtering animals like this. It's making a moral objection to the way they slaughter animals and just accept I, I, it because the I, I make a distinction there because because the way that they're saying to slaughter the slaughter these animals is actually inhumane and i don't i don't this is to me not inhumane yeah. and so i would make a distinction there because of that i'll give you that i'll give you that point but it's this but it's still compromising with a religion for no particular reason in my opinion, why should we change the rules for your religion? Your religion is a choice. Your religion is, in this case, all of these clothing things, again, in the bigger picture, are meant to keep women down. So why are we compromising with something that we find morally reprehensible in and, the ultimate? And that's where I come is back and say this is... reprehensible to go ahead yeah. and treat a woman like, wear this sack over you so that men are not tempted to rape you all the time, or... Uh, why compromise with that? Why don't Why don't we stand up and say, you know what? Sorry, you seem like a decent person. I'm sorry, you can't compete. But we're not changing the rules for you because when we change this rule for her, in what you what what you guys are all kind of saying, and I don't totally disagree with you, it's a fairly irrelevant way. I mean, why not let her wear what she wants? That's great. We're getting her involved. We're you know showing her know. things. That's almost but getting close to a slippery. Is giving an inch, and you know these people. They yeah, get but, inches, they take miles. Yeah, I know, but you're making a slippery slope argument here. Well, yeah, and, I, I might be. Yeah, the uh, the way that we slaughter cattle in the U.S. is not that much more humane. It's gotten much better. Yeah, but but well, and, and again, I don't want to get off on a whole you know 
animal rights kind of thing here because that is a little bit more complicated. But um, I don't know where where do you cross the line between? Well, I think you can find better examples than the meat thing. To me, the meat thing is consumerism. That's like um, kosher food. There are companies that make kosher food, and they're not going to worry about making non-kosher food because if they make it kosher, just release it all kosher, and the people that want kosher will buy it, and the people that don't care are still going to buy it. It's making money. So to me, the meat thing is being ignorant. And, and and compromising with some crazy ass old time religion that just doesn't. I think you fit. can find better examples though out there than what I consider just me um, companies trying to make money. Okay, I really, okay. I, you know what? I'll take that off the plate here. I, if you will. I really think that, that that there's another piece here that we're missing, and that it, it, that that you can the men are very in support of this, and we have the the woman, and unfortunately we only have one who who is making a feminist argument here, and and. I, I see your point, and I think there's also a piece here where I don't I don't swim in that pool, and so I don't quite completely I, I don't always understand it. Uh, you, do you understand what I'm saying there? Right, and in which case I, I want to present Kimberly as a stepping stone here. I mean, this is a woman who, like I said, she's breaking the mold. She's probably an inspiration for others. If they see her, that might get the next generation to say, "Hey, maybe why are we wearing these clothes?" And to some extent, the fact that she's being so open about being a Muslim woman doing this quite likely can inspire the future generations to go in the direction you'd like to see them go. Exactly. Uh, but, but changes like that do not happen like that. She's not going to give everything up. She's already breaking stereotypes. And it, that, that's probably actually an incredible thing for her alone. I wouldn't be surprised if she's gone through some trials just to get to the point where she's at. You know, the other point here is that do any of us really care about weightlifting? I don't give a crap what happens in weightlifting. And this is no. another problem with this story is that because I have no emotional attachment to um, to weightlifting, when they make a change like this, it does not it, it does not um, affect me in any sort of personal way. Where if maybe if this was something where where people were changing something that was more personal to me, I might have I might have a a different reaction. A more reaction, more like, listen, this has been the rules. If you want to participate, these are the rules. If you don't want to participate, then go away. Weightlifting weightlifting is not a sport, according to Carla. Uh, it's not. A, yes, because there's no. It's not. It's you're not, not a sport because you can't bet on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I bet you can bet on it. Why couldn't you? When was the last time you went out and when it made a fucking weightlifting bet? Listen, you go in Nevada, you can, if you go to Vegas, you can bet on anything. I'll bet that you can, I, I'll bet that you can, that you can, uh, I'll bet that you can bet on weightlifting. <laughs> gymnastics is not a sport. See, I just made a bet on weightlifting. <laughs> gymnastics is not a sport because Romanians are good at it. Oh, okay. Hey, George Carlin's rules. I'm going. Yeah, with okay. Them. Well, uh, but here's the thing is that I, I really think that this might be different. If um if it was something that I like if it was about bowling maybe I would feel differently because I have a I have a personal attachment to that to that activity and maybe if this was an activity that I had that that I cared more about I would feel differently and I'll bet you I would. Yeah, there's a good chance for that. I hear you. And like I said, I'm I'm no weightlifter either. I just I just don't like this insidious compromise with irrationality. 
And that's what well, I feel this is. We are compromising as rational people who have reasons for our rules in order to accommodate a completely irrational 1,500-year-old okay. idea that, in my opinion, leads directly to the subjugation of but women. But can't, can't we make the same argument that the weightlifting rules originally were ridiculous, that they were just there to show yeah, off no, more no, skin? I, I hear what you're saying. I mean, like I said, this is – this, and and it comes back to the same argument, again, I think a bigger – scope argument of um you know your moderates versus your extremists and stuff we need to give a uh you know a, a wave a pass to the moderates because they're not doing as much harm as the extremists and this is certainly well, a moderate and, issue yeah. but my opinion is every time again and and you're right that it's a slippery scope and you're right to point it out to me but Man, we give inches all over the place, and I don't think we always know what the consequences of them well, are. And to be fair, this is what Sam Harris is talking about, is, is giving in. But when we give in to the moderates like this, that we actually are empowering you know, empowering them to, to continue to take these things away from us. I, that's, I really do feel he's absolutely correct on that. And I know that's a very extre- extremist position it is on, very extreme, yeah. on its own. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, And a lot of people don't want to be associated with it, but... I just, I, I was really, I was surprised how bothered I was by it because the implications seemed very obvious to me. And like I said, I mean, I'm all for women's rights. I'm all for this chick doing what she wants to do and stuff. But changing the world in order, oh, I don't like it. Uh, I understand. You know, I'm That's really wrong. glad that you were bothered by it because none of the rest of us were. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> you're, right? You're feisty tonight, Kim. No, no, I think I, I think that's great because now I, I'm looking at this differently now. Be after this conversation, and now I'm more conflicted than when we started. I, I have I've less. I have job, less answer. Man. I have I'm way done. more answer. Night, folks, exactly. Great if your weight staff. <laughs> no, but that's what the, that's the problem with all of these is that the more the more you examine them and the more you look into them, the more you find out that the, that it's much more gray and that there are no one true you know solution that's going to fit everybody. So the more you analyze this, the harder it is to make a decision. Well, and the fact that we do see it as gray shows that we are not extremists because extremists see everything in black and white. Yeah. All right. And they're kind of all colors of explosions. Yep. <laughs> All right, what do we got here? Oh, the shipwreck. Yep, and you can always guarantee that if there's a shipwreck story out there, I'll find it. Yes. I don't know why. <laughs> All right, basically... I oh, I know why, just... and it goes back to your dad's connection with the Midway and your, and your obsession with boats. It's possible. <laughs> anyway, um, this Canadian schooner was wrecked in 1906, and they found it at the bottom of Lake Ontario in... Remarkably good condition because of the low oxygen down where it's at. It's about 200 to 300 feet down. It looks like it hit bow first because the bow sprit is broken off. That's the uh, spar on the front of the ship that the, uh, well, it's got a sail attached to it, but actually I don't know what it's for. But uh, that the bow sprit is broken off, and but uh, its masts are still sticking up 100 feet upward from the bottom of the lake. And the rigging is gone, but there's still coils of rope and cables on the on the deck. And they can also see the the winch that was added on the on the deck in probably the early 1900s. Um, what they're thinking is what happened was that the bilge pump might have failed, or just simply wasn't strong enough for all the water that it was taking on, and it just simply went down. The people who discovered this were they have uh, they found more than 20, re- 20 wrecks in the Great Lakes and about 180 others in 
various other different locations. So, all right, very cool. Yeah, I just thought it was a neat article. Yeah, and it's interesting to read how well preserved it was. You know, you read through it, it you know, sounds like it was in great shape still, considering yeah. you know it's been underwater for a hundred years. Well, it has a lot to do with the location, probably. Oh, yeah. yeah, well, that's what it said. Yeah, you know, there was until fifteen years ago, there was nothing there to um, cause any damage to it. Well, and also, there's not that much. Uh, until just a few years ago, there was not much they could do to actually explore that deep in that that cold of a location either. Right. Right. Yeah. Alrighty. So, that, that's some good um, science in it, and talking about how it was preserved and what was responsible for the preservation of it. So uh, it was interesting to read. All right. Uh, Kimberly wants to talk about the uh, the bombings in Norway. Yeah. Um. I just I I put one article in here. There's obviously a couple of million out there now. Yeah. There's a lot. Um, yeah. And I, I guess everybody's heard about it, that there was a, a – I, I, I guess it's in a still developing story. We don't know if it was just one guy or if he had a kind of a little conspiracy going. Um, but a bomb was, I guess, placed in, in a building. That killed about seven people. And then there was a, a mass shooting. I mean, just – it sounds insane what happened. Um, walked in apparently as dressed as a cop and just opened fire on a bunch of kids who were at some kind of a political camp. And uh, I heard that the number has come down. At one point, they were reporting 93 dead. I think they're now at 73 dead. And, of course, in the aftermath of, of such a horrible thing going on, it's it's easy to understand how the statistics and stuff can get blown out of proportion because you can count things twice and people are missing and you're assumed dead. And um, So I'm sure that'll get, uh, you know, kind of remedied here soon. And it's not like 73 dead is somehow, oh, that's not too big a deal. It's not 93. It's it's still pretty horrible what happened. Um, so obviously we're gonna we're gonna see more develop and we're gonna learn more about what happened here. But what I thought was really interesting uh, as this went on was the when the bomb first went off and when the 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 word first came down that that these kids were shot, everyone's immediate reaction was this must have been a fundamental fundamentalist Islamic attack, some kind of. Um, Al Qaeda or some some sort of of organization doing it in the name of Islam or you know in the name of fundamentalism and um, I just thought that was a really interesting reaction that that that's kind of where all of our brains immediately go to and um, I guess I just wanted to bring it up and and maybe have a discussion about you know what it really does mean you know the state of European immigration people talk about well, this a lot yeah I wish I had, could find the article again I had read an article going over the um, terrorist attacks in Europe over, like, the last decade. 99% of terrorist attacks in Europe are not by Muslims. <laughs> Only 1% of terrorist attacks in Europe have been Muslims. You know, that's interesting because, you know, a lot of those, uh, there used to be a lot of attacks from the IRA, the, um, the um, what and is it, that, the Irish, Irish Republican Army. Army. Right, and so, and they st- and they came out and said, and they stopped doing it. They, they I mean, they, they finally realized that, just how detrimental it was to their cause, and they came out against these types of bombings. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that it's all done I, there, but but you're absolutely right. Then there's is it the the Basque in Spain are responsible for right. a lot. Yeah, and this was a fun a Christian fundamentalist. They're saying. Yeah, and who has basically set, um, come out that his motives was to um, get people to go against the Muslims. Right. It was to create anti-Muslim ideas out there. See. And did God tell him to do it? I mean, what, who? It's, it's really interesting. He apparently has some kind of a 1500 page manifesto of insanity out there. Um, and I've read a couple of excerpts from it. He, 
he he's truly he's he's very obviously mentally challenged um he he's got something going on because from what i've read he's got a lot of points where he calls himself an atheist um he says he doesn't believe in anything and then goes on to say that he knows that god will be with him during these trying times and that um you know that jesus will will be the source of his strength so you know he he He's not very good at atheism if that's what he does identify as. Um, well, but, but it's not really yeah. totally clear that it's a Christian um, thing that brought this on either. This, it's, it's kind of yeah. all over the place. This article had referred to him several times as a Christian fundamentalist. Mm-hmm. But um, he's not really a Christian fundamentalist. What he is is he's, he's a nut job. Well, that's true. Yeah, it's a lot of developing stuff, but but it does kind of go back and forth. And, and like I said, it, it seems like it's going to be taken by whoever wants to take it yeah. in whatever way they want to take it. Why doesn't God just ever tell these people to shit in the salad bar? <laughs> this is this is not an organization, though. This is the this is the lone nut. You know, you could you could just easily say Ted Ted Kaczynski was for a cause when we're really all it was was lone nut. Yeah. The shit in cell bars, another George Carlin quote. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, I well, kind of well figured done. it was. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, anyway, like I said, I, I, it's a very tragic thing that, that just happened. I, I don't think we've seen the last of the implications of this, you know, and everyone's trying to spin it their own way. And, um, and yeah, I just thought it was really, really interesting that, again, the, the first thought that seemed to go through all the papers and blogs and stuff like that was, you know, we've been attacked by the fundamentalists again. Yeah. And then when they found out that it was a blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy, they're just like, um... Yeah, blend in anywhere, yeah. you know, the, the idea is that, hey, we got to um, do some racial, racial stereotyping in order to keep the um, terrorists from getting us are completely blown out of proportion here. You know, if you take yeah. all the spin out of this, what you have is some guy killed a whole bunch of people. Yep. I mean, and ultimately that's all that you really have is you have one guy, no matter what he says his motivations were, who went out and killed a bunch of people. It doesn't matter. He's not matter. a terrorist. He's yeah. a spree killer. He, it doesn't and, even, well, I, I, I don't know. This, I, you could call this terrorism. He was, I mean, he was terrorizing people. Yeah. So, yeah. but. He, he was a spree killer. Yeah. But it doesn't matter what, I mean, the cause, you have one guy who did a terrible thing. And, and people are going to try and spin this all sorts of ways. They, they already are. He's a Christian fundamentalist. He's an atheist. He's this. He's that. No, he's one guy. I, I don't know. Well, and that's what most of it comes down to. You know, even um, you know, the, the bigger terrorist actions, it's a handful of guys that are doing it. It's not a race. It's not this huge group of people. It's well, yeah, but in the case of... In the case of the larger terrorist actions, it's a small handful of people who've been put into it by a group that they are with. Right. They've been basically, they've been basically, um, they've been supported into doing it. I'm not going to say brainwashed because, but they've been essentially given all the, all the rhetoric that says you will be blessed if you do this, you know, 72 virgins and a good place in heaven with a nice view. Um, but they're, they're doing it because of a group, not because you know they're right, a lot of nut jobs. a handful of nut, nut jobs doing it instead of just one. You know, what? I, I can't support the view that people who are—I mean, if they're driven to it by a group, it's it's social pressure. Well, it's not being—it's well, not being a nut job. Ultimately, yeah. Pressure. Most people like him. There's some sort of social pressure. It, it, do, it doesn't matter whether whether he's psychotic or not. You—he right. did—he did a terrible thing. 
That I mean, and it, and that is the bottom line. It's you know, and you can't you can't associate him with anybody else realistically. He I mean he he may he may associate himself with that, with with another group, but you have to disconnect him from that group because he's he's a minority in whatever group he associates him with. Not all Christian fundamentalists are going out and bombing people and trying to blame it on Muslims. I mean that it's right. it is a minority view that in but it but it's. But it will start people talking. And by the time – in one year, it's going to be the Christian fundamentalist who is, you know, who is uh, acting on behalf of Muslims or something. I mean it, it, it's going to be distorted. And the, and the fact of the matter is that it, one guy who did a terrible thing is not how this is going to be looked at in the, in the long term. I, I just wonder in a year how people are going to be looking at this event. Yeah, we'll have to see how it rolls out. And like you say, and it, and there there is some word again. I, I haven't seen anything definitive yet that that there may be a little bit of a conspiracy here. So a little bit more than a just one guy thing. Um, apparently, early reports suggested that there was a second shooter on the island, but they didn't catch mm. him. I guess immediately. But again, either way, I mean, I don't think we're going to find to your point of view that there's you know the the pope is just like and you go out on saturday and here's your here's your agenda i don't think we're going to find something like that right and that's see that's the thing even you know with with 911 it was a small minority of muslims who did that but but what do we do muslims bombed the trade center the the the, the towers not a small minority of fundamentalists who who were acting on their own bombed those towers we blame the whole group and that's what bothers me about this, so, you know. And it's probably it's not going to happen because even if he is a Christian fundamentalist uh, in this country, we're not going to blame the whole group. But in Iran, in Iraq, in Muslim countries, they will blame all Christian fundamentalists for this. Yeah, yeah. And and what's what's I think another interesting part of the whole thing is that um, you can the, just the societal differences. Because a lot of people are comparing this to the Oklahoma City bombings, um, you know, because it, it was it was a similar type of bomb on a on a government building. Um, it, it still seems like Americans and Europeans, when they bomb something, they intend to survive it, and this this guy did. Whereas, right. you know, mm. when you do have those rogue fundamentalists um, from other countries, that's not part of the equation. And again, I, I think that's an, just an interesting. Well, I don't know what it all means. Yeah. I, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you what what exactly that points to. But I, and I can just tell very you, interesting. I, I, Norway is the last place that I would have expected this to happen. But mm. I shouldn't feel that way because anywhere that there are people, these kinds of things are can happen. Right. right, everyone's absolutely capable of these yeah. atrocities. Right, exactly. But uh, but I I'm, I'm surprised that it's Norway, even though I shouldn't be. It's not something you would have expected. No, it's not. But anywhere that there are people, these things can happen. That's interesting. Anything my that... mind my mind made the McVeigh connection too. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah, it sounds very similar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, and, and why and why shouldn't it? There's no reason that you shouldn't make that connection. It was a lone guy who. And maybe a conspiracy. Well, maybe there's McVeigh more to was, it. McVeigh was a, was a pair of guys, right? And there may have been a larger conspiracy, but there was two of them that two of them that got caught essentially. At least two, yeah. Well, and there was, and a, like I said, this this will probably be similar. There'll probably be a group of people who who psyched each other up into doing something absolutely horrendous. Right. And like there'll be this. a group of people who thinks that it really wasn't him and that it was the government that that did it, and they're right. just pinning it on him. 
And that happened with McVeigh too. There was a group of people who believed that oh, he couldn't have done it. There's no, there's no possible way. He's being pinned on this. He's the scapegoat. He's the fall guy. And you, you know, the the problem with those arguments is they make them, and there's no evidence for them. You can't outright say, well, that's not true, right? You have to say, well, is that plausible? Yeah, I guess suppose that is plausible. It's very low on my plausibility scale, but I can't rule it out. It's not a. It's not. It's not very high in plausibility because the simplest. Solution is that yeah, it was him. Right. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, we shouldn't story. end on that kind of a deal. No, jeez. Max, tell us something funny. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't know. We could. Uh, at least three of us have seen Captain America. Oh yes, Captain uh, America no, was good. No, no, no spoilers. Of course, has not. Oh. Marvel movies keep keeping the theater to offer the credits. You get rewarded. Yep. I'm going to say well, this. It's the same with all the it, movies. And it, 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 was, it was a, I don't know that it was the best comic book movie that's come out. I, I would say that as far as comic book genre goes, that Hellboy really captured that for me. But I would say that this was a better movie all in all, that this was just a plain good movie. It was. It was an outstandingly good movie. How about ending on some good news? Okay. Uh, my brother posted this earlier, so I haven't checked it out for accuracy, but uh, apparently... Uh, deaths from chicken pox have dropped 97% in adolescents and children since the use of vaccine began in 1995. Outstanding. Yay! Vaccines! Yay! That's not surprising, actually. I, I, I find that very believable. Yeah, what did Meryl Dory have to say about it? Uh, unfortunately, Eric, when you mentioned that, we just lost Jenny McCarthy as a listener. Oh! <laughs> oh. Man, now we're down to one listener again. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, remember, go to go to the uh, atheists for humanity and donate generously, and uh, and support atheists donating. I guess. Yep. Next we haven't week, we post our website or anything for a while. So amateurskeptics.com, check us out there. That's we right. also have a Facebook page for amateur skeptics. And, we're everywhere. Yep. And Kimberly and I for sure will be at Ask an Atheist next Saturday. Yep, yeah, so we'll, go come, to... Come sign your MP3. Yeah, we'll sign your <laughs> I sign yep. breasts. So go to atheists, go to atheists, ask an atheist, go there for God's sake. <laughs> All right. Say goodnight, everybody. Goodnight, everybody. All right. Have an evening. Good evening. Thanks for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. For more information about the Amateur Skeptics, go to AmateurSkeptics.com. To send us feedback, suggestions, or big flaming insults, feel free to contact us at WTF at AmateurSkeptics.com. Other contact information can be found on our website. You can leave a voicemail for the Amateur Skeptics Podcast at 720-295-7785. Music for this podcast was provided by OFM. To find out more about OFM, go to mindspace.com forward slash OFMHQ. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons No Derivatives 3.5 license. Thank you for listening to the Amateur Skeptics Podcast. Amateur Skeptics website, Facebook, and podcast album art is provided by and copyright. Shadow Knight Digital Portraiture. Larger prints or custom pieces are available upon request. 